0: Right, good morning, church. You're probably wondering how we got an actual angel to read the scriptures, aren't you? I know, I know, it's a favor. Hey, I wanna just, uh, real quick, we have in every area of our church, we have people who step up, put towels over their arm, and they serve the body faithfully. And so we know that that is rampant in this place, but there's a couple in our church, uh, James and Courtney Cochran, who actually have ran the cafe for the last four years, they're actually going to be rolling off of leadership in the cafe. And so I just wanted to recognize them. They're not in this service, but we're gonna go ahead and give them a round of applause because they have done a great, great job. And so um, they actually came to the, uh, to the board, had all kinds of good ideas, great ideas actually. And so, um, but they've done a great job. And it's funny to me when people come to me and complain about uh, the cafe, like you gotta get this thing fixed or you gotta do this. I'm thinking they are volunteers. they're volunteers and so they do a phenomenal job for us and we're thankful for them but hey this morning this passage is tough um it's so tough that i actually sent a bunch of friends this week i sent uh, them a text message and just said hey answer me this question i said how is it that we are in christ but we still sin because i wanted to know maybe what was missing. I just, I wanted to know, like I wanted some other insight. And I know that chapter 7 we're going to get into stuff in next week, in the next couple weeks, but I just really wanted to dig into this. And So it's a tough passage. I just want you to know that. But what I kind of came to realize is, on the front side, is there's something very obvious. In fact, I want to show this to you real fast. Um, go Go to the slide here. I want you to count the number of F's that you can find. So how many F's can you find? I'm gonna give you just a a couple seconds here. Just read, how many F's do you find? Just how many F's are on the board? How many F's? Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead. And if you see uh, six, raise your hand. Okay, not very many. If you saw three, raise your hand. You saw four, raise your hands. Okay, so there's six. There's six. I'll give you another second. Tell me when you see them. Yeah, there it is. No, 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 not Fellowship Church. You got finished, files, scientific, you ready? Of, years, of, scientific study combined with the experience of, it's the little of that we miss. We just absolutely overlook it, we don't see it. And so I think sometimes in scripture, we have these same moments where we just overlook something. And so today, what I wanna do is I wanna make sure that we don't overlook something that even if you grew up in church, even if you've been a Bible student, I think this one might've got you. So it's gonna take me a while to get there, but let me just begin to roll into this. Remember last week we ended in chapter five, which by the way, if you're visiting with us, we teach expository verse by verse. So welcome to the party, but uh, you're a little late, I'll catch you up. So chapter five, verse 20, it says, now law came into to." increase the trespass. Now, what this means is to make us aware of our sin. Not to make us more sinful, but to make us aware of our sin. But where sin increased, all right? So that's actually the word increased. It didn't actually increase. We were now more aware. So it came to make us aware. Now we're more aware. And then gra- grace abounded all the more. So we see God's forgiveness. So where the law is, we're able to identify law. It sets, it sets the law up so that we can see sin identify sin understand what sin is but ultimately here what we're landed and what we have to see is the grace would increase all the more well this led Paul to this launch of chapter six where he's going to ask a very obvious question if we were tracking last week and in chapter six verse one he says what then shall we say are we to continue to sin that grace may abound because look if if Law exposes sin, and so now we understand sin is there, but the more we sin, the more grace is poured on us. Shouldn't we just continue to sin more and more so more and more grace is poured upon us? And that's, that's what he's saying. He's like, is this, is this the way we should approach this? And Again, I, I know that most of us in this room aren't thinking this way, but I thought it was a fair point for him to make because there's this portion of this letter that gets a little bit repetitive, but it's very essential in our Christian journey in our faith journey. It says in verse two, he says, absolutely, positively, of course not, by no means. But then he asked the question, and this is the question that I sent out to a bunch of friends this week. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Does this one get you? I mean, look, if we come to know Christ and we continue to sin, like it should get us. It should be a question like we're like, why do I continue to do these things? I am dead to these things. There's a new freshness to life. Why do I continue to do these things? And, and for a long time, I had a response that I would have given. And then uh, my pastor years ago, a pastor of mine, um, I was talking to him we were having a deep conversation. We were actually eating chips and salsa in St. Louis, Missouri. It's a terrible idea. And. We're eating chips and salsa and we're just talking and we're having this discussion. And I asked him, I said, why do you think we continue to sin even when we are in Christ? And at this point, I believe that he was probably 63, 64, something like that. And he immediately looks down at the table and gets a little bit emotional. And he looks back up to me and he says, you know, I've been a pastor uh, for over 45 years now. And he says, I know the answer to this. I'm just not sure that I know how to say it. I go, well, just, what is it? Just just spit it out. In your 45 years of experience, spit it out. And he said, you know, I've pastored church in our church today. I would tell you that there are tons of people who are going to sing songs to the Lord. There are people who want to study the Bible. There are people, our church is filled with people that are going to say, I love Jesus. Would you say that today? Would you say you love Jesus in this place today? He said, there's tons of people that are going to tell you that they love Jesus. He says, but I think the problem is, is we don't fear God. We continue to sin even though we're in Christ because we have no reverence or no fear of God. And I, and I took that in, and for a while I thought, that's the answer. That is the only answer. And I do believe that a lack of reverence, a lack of fear of God does create in us this idea and this identity that we can continue to sin. We can continue to rebel against Him. Isn't it funny that there are things that you would never do in front of your parents growing up because you feared them? There are things that your kids will not do in front of you say, because they fear you. There are things that you would not do in front of your spouse because you fear your spouse. Things you wouldn't do in front of your boss because you fear your boss. Things you wouldn't do in front of your peers because you fear your peers. But do we not know that God, he sees it all? So how is it that we're driven into this? And so I can't just let it stick here. Let me keep going, because this is in verse 3. It says, do you not know? Now, I'm going to go ahead and let you see this, because this is one of the ofs. And this is ultimately where we're going to be going this morning. But this is the first of the ofs, this no, Do you not know? You know, Paul really is interested in getting us to understand and to know things. Isn't it funny how we live in this, this world in the context of the Christian life, and you've probably heard this before, where someone will say to you, they'll actually say, you know what, it's, it's not a head issue. It's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. You ever heard that before in the Christian world? It's about the heart. It's not about the head, it's about the heart. I think that is a lie from the pits of hell. I disagree with that. I think the heart is deceitful above all things, first of all. We know that from Scripture. I think the second thing that I would tell you is, unless we have our minds set on Him, unless our minds are fixed on Him, unless we're meditating on Scripture, unless we're understanding Scripture, unless we are reciting Scripture, unless we know His grace, unless we know His promises, unless we know these things, it is easy for us to not appreciate or revere Him as our God. Because He's just this emotional person that we had a little tug on our heartstring once. And that's what we've adopted into what the Christian faith is. And there is something about knowing. And he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He's saying, don't you understand that you have died? Your old self, he's gonna get repetitive with this. Your old self has died, but he uses this term baptized. Now I'm gonna deal with this and we're gonna spend exorbitant amount of time here talking about baptism, because I want you to grab a hold of this. Many, many of us in this room, you grew up and you were baptized as a baby, and I will challenge you to show me where in Scripture it says that you are to do this. And then we associate this with our salvation, and that is not your point of salvation. That would be workspace. That would be you doing something in order to be saved. Our salvation comes through faith and faith alone. This is very clear in Paul's letter. It's faith and faith alone. It is just faith. And so what ends up happening is we have created in the church, and I'm going to go back to the Western church. I'm going to go back to even portions of the mid-century churches, and I'm going to tell you that we find ourselves Being really attractive, really attracted to this concept of, hey, I'm going to baptize my child, or I was baptized as a child, so therefore I am his. But I want us to understand baptism. And so let me take us into this. Another letter Paul wrote to the church of Colossae and Colossians, he says this. He says, for in him, speaking of Jesus, the fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and the rule and authority. He's like, look, you have been filled in him. You are filled with Christ. You're filled with him. And this idea of authority, again, we don't really understand authority too much. We, we rebel against authority. In fact, I have an authority thing. I want to ch- change part of our government structure. I want to change a lot of it, actually. But one of the things I want to change is this. I, um, I appreciate, first of all, if you're a law officer in this room, um, I thank you for your service and what you do to protect us. We love law enforcement people here. I just want you to know that. Yep. But I do have a recommendation for you. And my recommendation is this. I would say let's instill a new law or some sort of, even if it's, a not, it's an unwritten law, it's just, a, it's just a known law. When you are in your law enforcement vehicle driving down the highway, you must go 15 miles over the speed limit because when you go the speed limit on the highway you slow everybody's trip down and so i think it should just be a new law the only time i feel like we actually observe authority is on a highway behind a law officer's car that's it that's the only time we observe authority but paul's saying look you were in him the head and the rule of authority, he is all things, his authority is, is all authority. He says in verse 11, he says, In him, Jesus, also you were circumcised. That means in covenant with a circumcision made with, without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, that is his death. So you're in covenant through his death. Watch this in verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, we've got to understand what this means, though. We've got to understand this. In which you were also raised with them through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So baptism wasn't just done in order that he would have something he could say. It was done to show who He was, who He was. Even Jesus's baptism, I'll get here in a moment, was to show and identify who He was. Verse 13, "And you, who were dead in the trespasses, that's your sin. And uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all sins, all trespasses. And so he did this by canceling the record of debt that stood against you, me, us, and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So he's saying, Jesus took your sin. He put it on the cross. And when he put your sin on the cross, he's like, your sin is done. It's done. Now, here, here's what's fascinating about this, and I want you to be able to grab a hold of this because we know that baptism biblically, understanding baptism, it is when you accept Christ, that means you confessed Christ as your Savior. It is at that point, then we are baptized to symbolize, to represent, to show that we are dying to our old self, to be risen, to walk in the newness, which is with Christ. So that is what baptism is. However, I want you to take it one step further because you guys know this. I want you to know where baptism began. Like, where did it come from? Where did it go? Where did it come go? from? God, Nigel. So where did it come from? Where did it come from? I also, I'm going to share this. I've shared this in the past. I'm going to share it one more time because I think it's important. It's actually not important at all. It's actually, I shouldn't share it, but. I don't think out of all the baptisms in the world that should have never counted, my baptism should have never counted. When I was baptized, I got in the baptistry. And when I got into the baptistry, I stood there, and I was baptized in a church where they would say, have you accepted Jesus? Yes, tell us that story. And so you would tell the story. So I had actually, in staying in the baptistry, had to tell my story. So I'm standing in the baptistry, and they said, have you accepted Christ? Yes, I have. But I felt like they couldn't hear me, so I reached up to grab the microphone, and it shocked me. And when, the micro, it did. and when the microphone shocked me, I said a wordy dirt. <laughs> on a hot mic, on a hot mic, in a baptistry, I'm probably, I, I'm thinking, I probably, next baptism I'll probably do it again to make sure it covered. Um, but uh, yeah, I did, I, uh, I did. I shouldn't have told you I should have. I probably shouldn't have. I got a friend in here that I ran into at the golf store this week and his wife is in here too. So I'm telling you because I don't want to look at him and embarrass him or make him feel any better. But we were at dinner, he said a a bad word once and his wife, you know, they kind of got eye to eye and she said, don't say that word. I don't want, just don't say that word. And he said that word in a golf store in front of me this week. So I need you to know, and you know who you are. You know who you are and you know, you know who you are and you know exactly um, what I'm talking about. I'm trying to find him. I know I saw him sitting out there. Oh, there he is, he raised his hand. <laughs> he raised his hand. <laughs> I didn't tell on you, you told on yourself. Oh, you told on yourself, but I do love you so much. Exodus nineteen ten. where did it come from? It says, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. This is the origin of baptism. And be ready on the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So at this point, it's Moses has this opportunity where he says, tells people, consecrate yourself. You're going to wash. And we're going to get ready. And we're going to go up and we're going to commune with God. Now, what ended up happening is they all got scared. And so Moses went up all by himself. They didn't want to go. They're like, Moses, you just go. You go. It's too scary. It's too dark. They feared God. So you just go and come back and tell us what he said. So Moses does this. So now there's... Something new that's being instituted in the area of priesthood. And so now, go to Exodus 29, verse 4. It says, And you shall bring Aaron and his sons, these are the priests, to the, interest, into the entrance of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. Now this word, wash them, this idea of them, it is the, it's tevla, uh, uh, which is the whole body. So I want you to wash all of them. Not just their hands, not just their feet. Wash all of them. In Exodus 30, we see in verse 17, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, he said, You shall make a basin of, of bronze and a stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, and which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands. Now you guys know this, is, it's yadayim. Yadayim is actually the word here. Now that's what the text is straw. But that is washing of hands. You should know that from last week, yada. Remember that last week? M, so it's washing their hands. Verse 19, in which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. And they go in, as they, when they go into the tent of meeting and when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so they might not die. I would like to institute this also for everyone who goes to the bathroom. <laughs> you shall wash with water lest you should die and verse 21, it says, Then they shall wash their hands, that's Yadim again, and their feet, that they may not die. And it shall be a statue forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generation. So all the priests were going to wash. All the priests were going to wash. In fact, you you know a little bit about this. There is a there's a, a word, a Hebrew word called McVah, or maybe you've heard of McVeigh, not Timothy McVeigh, but McVeigh, same word. Mekvah. Have you ever heard this word before? So this word is actually comes from, um, there's, there's two main areas where you're going to draw this from. The first one is, it was a pool. Mcvaugh means the pool. And so it's a, it just literally, it's a pool. And it would set out in front of the places of worship or these temple places, and the priests would actually go, and they would wash there. Now the high priest in front of the pools of Siloam actually had a McVah, which, more information than you want to know, but just to fill you in. So women, um, once a month would go and they would actually sit in this pool to be cleansed. The priest, the high priest would actually sit in that pool before, during Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, before he would take the scapegoat, and the story of the scapegoat is he would take this goat, and he would walk through the village, and you would just put your hands on the goat, and you would confess your sin, confess your sin, confess your sin. He would walk this little goat around, (laughs) whatever the goat makes, walk it around, and everybody would touch it. And then finally he would take it off out into nowhere and just let it go, and then he would come back, and he would get in the mikvah to cleanse himself. And so you, you see this, the repetitiveness of scripture of this, of this cleansing and this, this idea. And then all of a sudden, Jesus hits the scene. And I'm asked this question all the time why was Jesus baptized? Why was Jesus baptized? And it's a really simple answer. There's probably a couple of them, but the most obvious one verse chapter, Matthew chapter 3, verse. 13 through 17 says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, hey, I need to be baptized by you. But you come to me. You come to me. Now this idea of baptism had circled its way where rabbis would actually baptize someone into following them. So what they would do is they would actually baptize them. And when they would come out of the baptistry, they would then give them a rabbinical charge what their job, what the responsibility was going to be, what they were going to accomplish. And so John's like, no, no, you need to be telling me what to accomplish. And then Jesus says in verse 15, Jesus answered him, let it be so now. No, no, no. He's saying, you baptized me, John, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? And then John consented. Jesus was actually proclaiming, no, no, no. In order for this to be upright, because I am going to make the sacrifice as the high priest, remember Jesus was priest, prophet, and king, because I will make this sacrifice as a high priest, I must be baptized. It was part of the origin in order for him to number one, Yes, to do the priestly duty to be cleansed. But number two, to identify himself, much like Yom Kippur, David Tomah, the priest would, to say, look, this is the high priest, the one who will take the sins of our village away. And so when Jesus was baptized, he was being proclaimed as, I'm high priest. He keeps going to verse 16. There's other reasons behind that, but verse 16, Jesus was baptized immediately when he went up from the water. The reason it says immediately here is because there was no rabbinical charge. There was no rabbi to charge there to give him a statement. He says, when he came up from the water, behold, the heavens were open and to, him, to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. So the rabbinical charge actually came from God the Father. And John had no room to speak. He had no words to speak, but Jesus was being identified as the high priest who would take the sins of the world away. One more. Let me keep going. Let me keep going. Verse 28, chapter, Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus goes on and lives his ministry. He's, of course, we know, crucified, placed in a borrowed tomb, and then resurrects. And then it says this, verse twenty-eight, chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came to them, the disciples, and he said this. He said, now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember, Paul said that back in, back in Colossians. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What's the first step in making the disciples here? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of age. So they did this. They, they, would, they literally would do this. And the reason they would do this is because they understood that Jesus had called them to repent of their sins and then after the repenting of their sins, they would then be cleansed and then they would be baptized. There's a natural order. Let me give it to you from Acts 22. I want you to make sure you get this. Because baptism does not give you salvation, nor does it actually cleanse you of your sins. Acts chapter 22, verse 16, it says, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins. Calling on his name. Okay, now this gets fun. Because... 40 days after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he ascended back to the Father, and he told them, he said, hey, I want you to wait in the upper room, wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit of the Helper to come. 10 days later, 50 days after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it's Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And Pentecost takes place, and at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God comes down, fills people. People are repenting of their sins. People are getting saved, and they are immediately being baptized. So they understood this. In Acts chapter 22, this was fresh. There was no theological discussions. There were no denominational ties. There were no, let me pull this so that you'll let my way be right. So in Acts 22, let me read this how it would originally have read. And it would have originally read, and remember, we read left to right, and I understand the translation still flipped it, but here's how it would read, and how it does read in the original language. Calling on the name of Jesus, so your sins are washed away, rise and be baptized. That is the correct rendition of how this unfolds. Calling of His name in order that your sins will be taken away, and then you will rise to be baptized. So that's one, two, three. Rather than the way we see it. One, two, three. And it's important for us to have this order in, in order because when we get into Galatians, this is the last one, and I'll move on, I promise. Paul is going to write to the Church of Galatians. He says these words, and I want you to capture this because this sort of encompasses all of this and puts us back on track in Romans. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. So what Paul has just said is he has walked us through this this concept in verse 3 and verse 4. He's like, look, You have been baptized in Christ. And so what he's saying is he's under the assumption that we understand baptism enough to know that when we repent of our sins, we confess the name Jesus, we are then baptized. And that is the natural order in the church. Okay? If that order has not been followed in your life, I want to highly encourage you to follow the biblical order. I want to encourage you to be a man or a woman who would say, I understand that I am burying my old self in order that my new self could walk in the newness of Christ. This is what baptism does. And if you've never buried your old self through baptism, then there is a part of us that is living outside the order of the obedient steps that Jesus actually called his disciples to go take to the nations for discipleship. And so we're out of the discipleship mold. We've broken the mold. I want you to grab a hold of this one more piece. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death. So there's a spiritual and a physical that we are battling, there's a war raging. He says, In order, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So he's like, there is a newness of life. This comes, by the way, just so you know, it absolutely comes through your confession, your repentance, and your confession of Christ. That's where the newness comes. The baptism is a physical symbol of what an inward statement has been, but Jesus saw it important enough to state so that we could actually visually, because we're visual learners, I think we're also to fall into the mold. He wanted us to actually be buried And raised so we could understand what he experienced. Because listen to the next verse, verse 5. For if we were, if we have been united with him in his death like his, we certainly will be united with him in the resurrection like his. That's new self. We know, here we go verse 6, we know, here's the third one, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might no longer be enslaved by sin. This is new self and old self. New self and old self. And it's the new self and the old self that wages war in us. The new self that says, yes, I've accepted Christ. Yes, I'm into Christ. And the old self says, yeah, but these pleasures, the things that this world has for you, you need those. So this war rages in us, rages in us. You know what's fascinating to me is I find myself going, what we know, there, there's something that's happening in our heads, and, and what needs to change? Like, what, need, what do we need to be convinced that the new self should actually have dominion over the old self? We were, my wife and I, when we go on vacation, I don't know how we do this, but we're always— duped into this idea that we're gonna get something free if we set through one of the conversations. You guys have done it too? Yeah, it's miserable. Every time they're like, and we've, we're not doing it again. I'm never doing it again. I give you my word. But when we've done it, the person's always like, well, what can I do to change your mind? Um, well, let's see. I don't have $40,000 for vacation to spend, because I don't go on vacation nine times a year, but thank you for the offer. So what could you do to change my mind? There's nothing you can do to change my mind, nothing. I'm not gonna sign up for the timeshare. And so there's nothing you can do. I feel like some of us have this sense that there is nothing that can be done in our lives or our hearts that are gonna transform us from old to new. Listen to Paul as he continues in verse seven. He says, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. That's not sinless, that's not sinless. It means that you've been set free from sin. It doesn't have control over you. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. That means that we can live for him. So not slaves to sin, not sinless, but we can actually live for him. Verse 9, we know, there it is again, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, now he lives to God. Verse 11. Here, it's so good. So you must also, or you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. So he is dealing with two things. This is old self, new self. Dead to sin, alive in God. And this is the civil war that exists inside of us as people of God today. This is our battle right? This is our battle. What I love about this is he uses this word, consider. Because when he says this word, he uses this word, consider, he's actually saying the word, the word there is to think. It's to think. Paul's going to say this when we get to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He's going to say, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, world, but be transformed. How? How are we transformed? What's the next line? You grew up in church. By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing. So he's saying, look, I want you to consider it's the renewing of your mind that matters here. Let your mind be renewed. In verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Look, your mind is strong and your mind has control. So if we're filling our mind with God's word, with God's promises, with God's truths, that's what's going to control the passions of our heart. That's what's going to control the old self. And so we are not helpless against sin. And I know that many people in this room right now, you feel enslaved to sin. You're like, I've accepted Christ, but I still am enslaved to this sin. I understand that. That is truth. And you are not, you're not crazy. That's real for you. And the only way you break out of this, according to the scriptures is you renew your mind because if your mind is trained into his promises his word his truth his hope his power that is what is consuming us then that's what's going to change the passions of our heart i will tell you those of you in this room that you watch smut on tv you feel that stuff in your mind you allow social media to fill your mind you allow movies to watch that you watch you have a warped sense of identity in your mind of who you are, because you're putting that junk from the world in you. Now I'm not up here trying to be the guy that's like, don't watch TV, don't listen to music, but I would tell you this, what you put in your mind will become the passion of your heart. That's the way God wired us up. And so if you really are care about honoring and pleasing God, you're gonna care about what you fill your mind with. You're gonna protect your eyes, you're gonna protect your ears, because you want to protect your soul. You want to protect and guard against the civil war that wages against us between old self and new self. I forgot what verse I'm even in. Someone yell it out to me. 13, here we go. Do not present, your members. I'm just gonna end there. Go back to 12, I'm in at 12. I'm in at 12, we'll pick back up there next week. I think I've yelled at you enough. So what I would tell you though, let me finish here with this. With I believe the thing that is missing for us The ofs, the ofs, the ofs that are missing, I think what's missing for us is the no, what we know. I really do believe that if we know God's plan, God's will, God's desire, if we really know this, if we will renew our minds, I think that this battle that is real and that is going to be lifelong, I think it is won by understanding whose you are. Okay, I'm done. God, I thank you for your grace. I praise you that we've been able just to dig into this passage today. And Lord, what I ask is that as we continue this study, as we continue to march along, you would allow each one of us to see and long for a more faithful heart towards you. Lord, I know that there are men and women in this room today under the sound of my voice who battle the old self, new self. And I know this because I'm one of them. I know this because I have to wage war against my flesh, war against what goes through my mind every single day. And God, the way you have trained us and told us to equip ourselves is not just to really feel, just to let our hearts just run wild. You've told us to renew our minds. You have told us exactly what it means for us as your people to receive you, to walk with you, and to set our eyes and our minds fully on you. So that's what I pray over my church family today, is that you would give us the ability to set our minds on you. The things of this world, the promises of this world, the pleasures of this world, they're all fleeting, they're temporary, they're destructive. So God, I pray over my church family. Don't let us be destroyed by the things of this world. Let us be built up. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that they would be encouraged, that they would be fed through the power of your word. Yes, through the prompting of your spirit, but God, through the power of your word, we would see transformation take place in our minds daily. Let us win that war. Let us win that battle. Thank you for the battle that was won on the cross. It was in Jesus, and it's through his name we pray. Everybody in the house said, Amen. 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 The fear of